Hello everybody, this is the Keen Atomic, uh, a movie podcast where me and Danny talk about movies. Um, this is a bonus episode, which we're kind of dropping pre-Halloween. Um, we, ha- we have a Halloween episode uh, scheduled, and then November, and then our season three we're kicking off, off next year. But we thought, um, because it's uh, London Film Festival is, is kind of still going on, I think closing day as of recording is, is tomorrow... Um, we're gonna do a London Film Festival episode. So joining me on that is is my normal regular co-host Danny. Hello, Danny. Hello. Your yeah, normal is a loose term, <laughs> but yeah, um, it's I actually mean... my first ever London Film Festival. I was, I never got to get tickets for it, uh, so it's my first year of actually seeing more than one film. So that's kind of what prompted our special episode. Yeah, because we, we we kind of spoke about, I mean, possibly doing an episode on French Dispatch and possibly doing an episode on on Titan and, and Last Night in Soho. Um, but because life kind of finds a way, um, it, it it kind of just hasn't really happened as 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 well as we kind of wanted it to. So what's kind of happened is even with me living in Edinburgh. The BFI and in conjunction with the LFF um, have done this thing where they're simulcasting or they're showing the the films of the film festival over around the country. Yeah. So as such, um, in Edinburgh, I've been able to go and see um, as of recording uh, two films: uh, Titan and French Dispatch. Um, the third film I'm going to see tonight, which is uh, Petite Maman, which is the new uh, Celine uh, Siama film and uh that'll be that'll be tonight but danny being in london has has seen how many movies have you seen at the london film festival this I year i think it's five 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 any more any more is it tonight or i i haven't or got any a... maybe petite maman but i'm not sure well it will probably be it'll probably have to be at the prince charles cinema after because they're showing it from november onwards so i might book it then i didn't get a chance to book it now but I would right. like to see it because, yeah, um, Celine Shyama is quite an exciting filmmaker. And I have to say that I'm quite happy to see all these actresses coming out of the woodwork and, and directing films. So you had Maggie Gyllenhaal, who's uh, had her directorial debut at the uh, London Film Festival. And uh, Rebecca Hall, um, also having her directorial debut at the London Film Festival. So... I'm quite excited to see more of that. So, um, so uh, before, shall we? What, um, what films? What films did you? What films have you seen? Um, away from, you know, away from the two films we're talking about today, Titan and and, and French Dispatch. What what other movies have you seen? So, part of the London Film Festival, I went to see Bergman Island which again is directed by a woman um Mia Hasanlov I might have pronounced that wrong uh, which was quite fun and sad at the same time and it was basically taking place around Bergman Island in uh, Faro in in Sweden and um starring um v- Vicky Creeps from Phantom Thread you've seen that yeah uh and Tim Roth and there's a yes a small role of um Mia Wasikowska as well it's like a movie within a movie within a movie it's it's quite good 
I found and quite sensible. So I, I, I enjoyed it. And it, it's a bit tongue in cheek as well with regards to uh, Bergman because he, as much as great an artist as he was, he wasn't a very nice person in real life. And there's there's a bit of jabs going around that <laughs> he, he had nine kids by five different women and <laughs> he couldn't remember her their birthdays and whatnot. And there's one at one point because the, the the main characters they they're big fans of Bergman and that's why they go there, and they ask lots of questions about how he was and because he spent a lot of time in in that on the island and people giving them the tours they know they knew more, a lot about him and then one of them says like how do you think he he made all those movies because he was also a theater director he made lots of theater productions whilst um, directing movies so. Do you think he was he had time to change diapers in between? No, he didn't. He was not a good father. <laughs> but it was um it was it was good film, I I thought. Um and I was happy to have seen it on the big screen. So yeah, I think that was my first London Film Festival film. And then I went there was a surprise film on Monday, um, and it turned out to be a film called um Come On, Come On. Come on, come on, directed by Mike Mills, I think. Starring yes, Joaquin Mike, Phoenix, yeah, Mills, yeah. Um, Joaquin Phoenix, and a, a a child actor who basically blew my mind, and I can't remember his name, but he came on stage afterwards, and he was very eloquent, and he was just adorable. Uh, let me just one second to find exactly what his name was. Um, but yeah, that was that was the um, Woody Norman surprise for. Yes. He was very, very good. Um, and so sort of perceptive and, and just childish, but not too childish. And he was so understanding of, of, of the, the, the narrative he was part of. Very complex performance. I was, yeah, blown away. Uh, so if you get a chance to watch it, it's brilliant. And Gabby Hoffman also plays Joaquim's sister, and she also has very good performance excellent i i really liked it um the cinematography was black and white and it was brilliant brilliant so yeah um what else oh yeah on tuesday i went to see the phantom of the open and it was really really funny and like heartwarming feel-good movie um with mark rylance who actually lives not far from me I saw him on on Sunday, uh, walking down the street, and he was very nice and charming and smiled at me. Um, and then on Tuesday, humble he, brag that that's a humble brag. Yeah, he was so cute. Oh my god, I just I love him. He's <laughs> he's a genuinely nice person. And I was talking to to some neighbors, and they they know him, and everyone around the neighborhood knows him. Uh, well, knows him as in like they say hello, and he always says hello back, and he's always friendly. Uh, for for like a, a proper actor, Oscar winner. Um, he's very humble and and the movie was really cool and um, yeah he had really good chemistry with Sally Hawkins and yeah very good film and what else outside of that I think I kind of started on my journey towards the Halloween season and I watched what did I watch I finally saw Hereditary um, oh Okay. Early on, um, a week ago or so. I mean, in between last time we spoke and now, I watched Hereditary. Uh, I found it on Netflix, and 
yeah very scary um <laughs> yeah, watch the, the, the thing with hereditary is that i mean for, for me it, it's the only film that's actually given me a panic attack um, really the, yeah the the it it because you know normal horror films most horror films they they they, they turn the screw turn the screw and then they have to release and you know and then it kind of let's you'd let away but some of that tension didn't. but hereditary doesn't do that even with the the shock moments you know there's a couple of moments like it's it just keeps going and keeps ratcheting up and because there's this underlying theme of grief and and tony collette's performance should have been nominated yep. and won an oscar that year because they should, yeah holy they should have given shit it to her. she was absolutely brilliant um, i mean and, you know, i don't the, know if anyone yeah uh, could have done what she did with that role it was just incredible i mean it just it just i mean we're just gonna end up moaning, I'm gonna end up moaning about the academy again but it just just shows, shows her how out of touch they are because i mean you know I mean, yeah you've got tony collette's performance in, in in that but you've also got lupita nyong'o's performance in in us, in us. which is oh which is gosh. again fucking incredible and it's like i mean tony collette i mean she's so good she's such a good great actress anyway she can do multifaceted things i think about how funny she was in in knives out um <laughs> but she you know in hereditary yeah exactly and and <laughs> but in in <laughs> i think i read the tweet about the new yorker article about you um yeah uh, uh the, the thing about hereditary is like she's she's uh, she's so so good and she anchors that before uh that film incredibly well and there's you know it, even when a lot of people seem to think you know the last 10 15 minutes seems to the film goes off the rails but in my opinion it doesn't it just it just keeps going and it just keeps going and, and oh it just God, leads no. you i think that scared me more than anything else i mean the last 15 minutes is just like the cherry on top of the sunday it was just like keep going and going and going and and in most horror films you know the bad people don't win at the end but in this one they do Sorry, spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah, I try not. I'm trying not to give away too much spoilers, but there's one. There's one particular camera shot I just want to kind of give a, a, a notice to. Is that this one particular shot where Alex? I think his name is Alex, isn't it? He stood in the room, and, and he's in the, the bed. cameras. He's looking at him. The cameras look facing him, and then ever so slightly, the camera shifts left, and you see it in the in in the corner, and you're it. It, it, it takes it takes you a moment to realize, and you just it it honestly like I I like I said it's it's the the only film to 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 really give me a panic attack. But you you've seen I mean you're just about to say another film yeah. that unsettles me as well and has, yes, has seemed to have hit I've, you a bit. I don't I know because the I think we might have talked about it when we. Um... What was the film that he directed that we we had on the podcast? Under, Under the Silver Lake. Under the Silver Lake. So I, I might have mentioned it on on that episode. I can't remember exactly what I said, but um, the director of this film, it follows. I watched. I tried to watch it. Follows. I think it was again during Halloween a few years ago. I think when it came out, and I couldn't go past the thirty minute mark. I just it felt really uncomfortable to watch it and uh, i think after after the scene when you have the old woman in the school dressed in like hospital clothes in the hospital oh. gown yeah 
and it was like right at the beginning right like within 30 minutes of of the movie so it's like the first apparition that she has and i i couldn't i couldn't i was like this is not okay i can't i had to stop it um but i made last night i i made my, myself watch the whole thing and again it was just very very unsettling and it it's a very proper scary film like proper scary film um, and very well done, very well done, very well well directed and well acted. Um, yeah, and on on the flip side, I, I watched a few turkeys as well. <laughs> <laughs> name and um, shame, go on, name and shame. Well, I I know you you're gonna say you're gonna roll your eyes at me on this one, but I when I first saw the Conjuring, like the the first Conjuring, not the second one or the third, I really enjoyed it. Uh, I like a good. I like to quote Mark Caramode, uh, "quiet, quiet, bang." I it, it does its work, you know. It does what it says on the tin, you know. You you know what you're gonna get, and you know, banging doors and then hands coming out and stuff like that. Um, and I like Vera Farmiga, and um, it was it was enjoyable. Second one, it was a bit less enjoyable, and now I've seen the third one called "The Devil Made Me Do It." And it was very silly. It was just, yeah, it was silly. Um, I, it wasn't very scary. And it was just dragging on forever. Um, and I think, yeah, and then last week, I think I saw The Haunting in Connecticut. I found it on Netflix. And it was even sillier than I thought it would be. Because you had um, Virginia Madsen, and I think she's quite a good actress. And I was wondering why she would do such a silly film that doesn't actually scare you in any kind of way. I mean, they have to pay the bill somehow, actors. Yeah, I suppose. Um, But yeah, that's kind of what I remember having watched. So yeah, and tomorrow I'm going to see... Re rewatch uh, the innocence for the first for the first time on the big screen because I've seen it on the small screen, and it's showing at the Prince Charles Cinema. So we're gonna be that's one of the films that we're gonna discuss on the Halloween special. It is indeed, um, and um, I mean it links it in quite nicely to to what I've watched as well. Um, so th- this morning, um, so a, a film critic that I follow, a guy called Film Crit Hulk. Um, his stuff is very, very good. Um, if you give him a give him a follow on Twitter and uh, post up these incredible, really good essays, really long essays and stuff on on his Patreon. Anyway, he he did a a movie marathon or Halloween horror movie marathon uh, last night. Well, because it's in the oh, wow. states, you know, he's in the states. He does, the, you know, it's obviously a bit time behind and what have you. So when I woke up this morning, he was it was midnight over where he is. And he was start doing the three secret screenings because he, he did a schedule through the day and it was like the thing, Jennifer's body, let the right one in, raw, um, uh, cat people. I think was the first film he shown, and then um, that he did three 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 secret screenings, and um, the first one was at midnight and. Um, I was literally just waking up this morning around like eight o'clock in the morning and I was like checking out the feed, and uh, it was Halzu, uh, which is the 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 set the, the the second film we're talking about for Halloween, um and I'm going to talk more about it when we finally record. But the first time I saw Hauzu was with a crowd, and that's going to be the first time you see it as well. That is true. Um, thank um, again, 
um, courtesy of Prince Charles Cinema, I managed to get um, tickets to see it. So I was going to go tomorrow, but it sold out. So they're screening it again on the 27th of October. And there's only a couple of tickets left because I checked last night when I booked my tickets. And then I will I will have to. Yeah, so we're going to have to push back our release for the um, Halloween movie yeah. on actual Halloween day. Yeah, so that the Halloween day thirty first is when we're doing our Halloween episode. Um, yes. speak, speaking of Halloween, uh, last night I saw the the new Halloween movie, Halloween Kills, uh, directed by David Gordon Green. Um, the the general consensus online seems to be a bit kind of polarizing. A lot of people seem to think it's it's just a bit. I mean, even Mark Kermode was bored by it. Um, I, on the other hand, I I kind of enjoyed what it was doing. I mean, to think you know there are nine films in this carpenter version or have been there since been Nine. spun off since well there yeah there are so you got the original film from from 78 and then there was a sequel halloween 2 and then there was an anthology film halloween 3 and then there were uh, halloween 4 halloween 5 there was h2o and then resurrection and then you had two rob zombie movies that came out in 2007 and 2010 which were like rebooting it. And then we had nothing for a few years. And then David Gordon Green released, you know, Halloween in 2018, which was a direct sequel of the the original movie. So it ignores everything that's come before it. And it's literally a direct sequel. So Halloween Kills is a sequel to that sequel. Mm. Um, So you think with all these movies involving Michael Myers it becomes a bit stale I won't say stale but you end up getting a bit predictable when you but I was kind of I liked the fact that this movie was doing something different um there was some I think some new ideas in there and it was doing something different and I kind of appreciated it for what it was doing um I don't think you know I think it was all right I think it was okay um I mean <laughs> and it actually turns out um, away from the two movies we're going to be talking about in a bit, it's actually one of the better movies that I've seen since we've last recorded. So I've seen, like, you know, I, since we last recorded, I watched uh, Free Guy. The, oh, the how new... was that? It was all right. It was okay. I, I mean, I, I can't I, I really... was kind of wanting to see it. I've got Disney Plus. It's on Disney Plus, isn't it? It, it is on Disney Plus, yeah. So I was kind of... Because you've got Jodie Comer and she's amazing, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then she's, you've she's got really Taika great. Waititi, and there's another few people. I mean, well, okay, Ryan Reynolds, he's fun, I guess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's been fun with like Deadpool was okay, Deadpool two was, eh, but still kind of okay. Yeah, but he's, he's got. I mean, Ryan Reynolds has got his. I mean, he's kind of no one else can really do what Ryan Reynolds does, really. I think, you yeah. know, Deadpool kind of shown that, you know, there's an appetite for people wanting to see that. And you see it with, you know, Hitman's bodyguard. I mean, he, he shows up in I mean, he shows up in Hobbs and Shaw, the Fast and Furious movie, just really randomly um, because he's mates with Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Mm. Um, you know, I think with Free Guy, Ryan Reynolds does his usual thing, but the, it, it's all right. It's OK. It's an enjoyable movie. Um, then I, because I was on Disney Plus, I sat and watched uh, Jungle Cruise, 
uh, starring is Dwayne that with Emma, Emma, Is that with uh, not Emily Blunt? The other one. It um, is with them. It is with Emily Blunt. Not, not oh, with no, Amy Adams. No, not, not Amy Adams. Adams. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so it's with Emily Blunt and and um, no, and it's Dwayne Amy Rod Johnson. Adams. Or, or Amy Adams, yeah. And it, it was. I mean, again, I mean, I think it was pretty okay. It was pretty solid. I mean, um, it's clearly one of these movies that's trying to. Because uh, Jungle Cruise is is like, you know, it's it's a based it's a a ride at, at Disneyland in in Orlando. I think there might be one in in Paris, but they you know it's a, it's a ride. So like Pirates of the Caribbean, it's a film adaptation oh. of a ride. So right, yeah. So if you're thinking in terms of Pirates of the Caribbean, I mean, you, you know, the original first one is is excellent still is and i think the two sequels done by gore verbinski are, are very very good because you know it's gore verbinski um but the thing the thing with that is like disney are still trying to kind of mine that kind of idea so there's lots of stuff in jungle cruise which you can kind of see linked with you know um pirates of the caribbean um I, it was okay. It was all right. Um, one thing I did enjoy is that um, there was no James Corden. It was Jack Whitehall instead. So in terms of British comedians appearing in American movies, they 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 kind of did all right there. <laughs> I still don't understand why James Corden has a career. But... Yeah, I th- I think he, I think he's I think his agent or him he's he's got some money. He's got something on producers. Just... He's got yeah, photographs, maybe. I think. I was thinking that, like he's got photographs, like fifty <laughs> style kind of blackmail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's, yeah. He's somehow he's, he's got this. Anyway, um, Jungle Cruise was, it was alright. I thought it was okay. Um, and then uh, this, so this all happened in a day because I actually had a day off and I had nothing planned. So I was like, I got, a, I found myself up at a decent time, like eight o'clock in the morning, and I was like, I'm just gonna watch a load of movies that I hadn't seen. So it was Free Guy, Jungle Cruise. I then saw Old, the new M. Night Shyamalan movie, um, mm. which I thought was pretty good. Again, it was a pretty average movie. It goes there like an M. Night Shyamalan movie does. Um, it has the typical Shyamalan twist. Um, of course it does. Which I saw coming within the first like 20 minutes. Um, but it, it has got, it's got some interesting stuff in there and, and it's pretty solid. Um, Had, were you uh, speaking of twists? For you've seen the village, yeah. The village, yes. It's not the village. No, it's not the village, but it's the village, yeah. Yeah, go for it. Uh, did you see the twist in there? Because that was a pretty uh, Well, I boring... saw the, I saw the village uh, on VHS when VHS was a thing from because my, I remember my parents renting it from Blockbuster. It's not that sat... old. Is what two thousand three? Yeah, but VHSs were still a thing. Um, it might have been VHS, it might have been DVD, I can't remember. But my parents rented it from Blockbuster and we sat down and watched it. And I remember my dad getting very, very pissed off by the ending. That um, was a cop out, wasn't it? But I I, I remember the, the stuff beforehand really kind of scaring me. I mean, you know, I was like 12, 13. So, um, yeah. but the, yeah, the twist in that, I mean... Yeah, we could talk about M Night Shyamalan twists another day, but um, yeah. I think I think old was okay. Um, just to, I've got a couple more, but um, and then a few a few um, weeks ago, a few months ago, I might have mentioned that I went through all the Saw movies. So I finally sat down and watched the new Saw movie for, uh, starring Chris Rock. And Chris Rock. 
Yeah, so Chris Rock. Yeah, Chris Rock, the comedian, he helped write uh, and he stars in the new Saw movie. (laughs) That's interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. That's why it was like, that's why I sat down and watched it. And I was like, aha, okay. Was Um, it good? It was alright. Um, it was okay. I mean, as a Saw movie goes, I mean, I'm more invested in the the convoluted, insane narrative than I am the the kills. Um, but I mean, Chris Rock has this bit at the beginning involving Forrest Gump, um, is you know doing his Chris Rock thing, and it's perhaps the funniest thing I've seen all year. Um, <laughs> and it's in a Saw movie, um, and and that was okay. It was pretty average, and then I decided. I was going to sit and watch the new Space Jam movie because wow. I'm going to do that to myself. I'm going to hurt myself in a way that not many people can hurt me. And I thought, okay. you know what? I'm going to watch the original because I haven't seen it for a long time. Um, Because I'm also an insane person. So I watched the original Space Jam from 1996 starring Michael Jordan. And yeah, I know. And every... Looney Tune character. The <laughs> um, thing is, right, thing is with Space Jam, it seems to be one of these films that some, for some reason millennials seem to say is uh, amazing because they have memories watching it when they were a kid and they seem to have gravitated towards it of being like, this is a great film and no one else understands it but us millennials do. The thing is, I am a millennial... I also saw Space Jam when I was six years old in the cinema because I remember watching, I remember sequences sat in the old Odeon cinema in my hometown when I was six years old. So I should be the prime audience for rewatching Space Jam and saying this is an under, you know, this is a classic thing of children's cinema. It is fucking terrible. Um, yeah. the original, the original movie. It is, yeah. it is fucking terrible. And what really pissed me off watching it is because last year when we did Noir November, we we watched Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Which a movie that came out, a movie that came out eight years before Space Jam, and the animation and live action is seamlessly put together and is incredible, right? Space yeah. Jam came out eight years later, so by the advancement of technology, the animation should be a lot better. It's not. It's it's terrible. Um, there is one the good. The, there is hmm. one good joke in the movie, like one joke that actually made me laugh, and it's when Bill Murray shows up, and then the the head monster, which is voiced by Danny DeVito, says, "I didn't know Dan Aykroyd was in this picture." That li- that was the only thing that made me laugh. Burn. <laughs> yeah. Um. Uh, what's his name? Fucking uh, Newman from Seinfeld. I can't remember the name of the actor. Wayne Knight is in the movie doing is Wayne it, yeah. Knight things. Um, Hello, And it's Newman. just it's just a bit shit. And I was like, okay, right. Can this new movie be as bad as that? And my yes, God. It yes, it was. Oh, my God. I think, I think the only reason Don Cheadle is in it because I think he may have needed a new extension in his house. Um... <laughs> Like it, that bad, huh? Look, yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not a fan of modern base basketball. I mean, I mean, the only reason my new basketball knowledge really comes from pop culture and from TV series and stuff. But I mean, I know who Kobe Bryant, I know who LeBron James are. Um, you know, but 
watching this with LeBron James, it's like he can't act. Um, I mean, Michael Jordan can't really act as well, but the thing with Michael Jordan is that it was fucking Michael Jordan. Um, yeah. You know, you're 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 watching the one of the greatest fucking sportsmen ever on on screen. Um, but LeBron James, I mean, yes, okay, his numbers are great, but unless you're a base basketball aficionado, you're not really going to understand the power of LeBron James. Um, there's this whole thing to do with like the Warner Brothers serververse. And, you know, they, they, they fly through this serververse and there's a Harry Potter world and then there's a world of Game of Thrones, and which is really weird because you're watching a kid's film and there's Game of Thrones there and you're thinking, there's incest on that planet. Why are we flying past that? There is a Casablanca world. I'm not even fucking joking. Um, like how they, they how fly... dare they? <laughs> well, it's Warner Brothers, so of course they're going to mine oh, their material. Oh, God. Yeah, so they fly past, and there's a black and white world, and it's got Casablanca, and you see Ricks, and there's an actual sequence <gasps> where they're flying, they're going onto the different planets to, to try and find the old Looney Tunes, oh. because they abandoned Bugs oh. Bunny on the Looney Tunes planet, and they all did their own thing, and they go onto the Casablanca planet, and instead of um, uh, Sam playing the piano, it's Sam from the Looney Tunes playing the piano. Mm. And it's 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 fucking weird. Like you see Ingmar Bergman's face talking to Sam, and you're like, "This is what? <laughs> what is this fucking movie?" Um, the animation oh. is is cheap. I mean, I think modern animation nowadays is is not as great as it once was. It seems as I, I, I completely I, agree. It has this weird sheen to it, and I think Space Jam: A New Legacy just has that in abundance. Um, there's there doesn't seem to be any uh, character to the animation in in this. I don't think Warner Brothers really give a shit. I think. Um, I mean, they never really have, if you think back. But I think Warner Brothers have this property of the Looney Tunes. I mean, the Looney Tunes cartoons, the new ones that came out uh, last year, year before, are actually very very good, and the animation in that is very very good as well. But the animation in this is is just fucking terrible. Um, there is so. You're aware of Ken Russell's The Devils, are you not? Um, I know of it. I don't know. Right. If I've seen yeah. No. No. It. So I, I'm. I. I haven't seen it either. But I, this would be the last thing I say before we move on to our thing because I have to get this out there. Um, so Ken Russell's The Devils is famously. Ken? You can't see an original version of it the way it was intended by Ken Russell because Warner Brothers in and. Uh, owns the rights to it and then butchered the shit out of it and you can't see an original version of ken russell's the devils except mark kermode back in the early 2000s with the bfi managed to put together a version of the devils and they think they did a screening at the the bfi and then this that was it that was the only time you've actually uh, can can see it I think there's like fan edits online of like people trying to get as close as possible using deleted scenes, but as in a true Ken Russell version, there isn't a thing. But the thing is with the devils, it's involving Oliver Reed and and as far as I can tell, devil worshipping sex crazed nuns. Um Warner Brothers Sounds has disowned right. this film. Yeah, Warner Brothers has disowned this film. They they don't want anything to do with it. They won't put out a version of it or anything else. When they're doing this basketball game. They're playing on the basketball, and you see all these Warner Brothers characters all around. So you see the Droogs from Mad Max Fury Road. You see a guy dressed up as the Penguin. They think there's a guy dressed up as uh, Robin from you know the original Adam West. There's 
you know, the Iron Giant shows up, which really pisses me off as a, as a fan of that, as a big, massive fan of that movie. Um, King Kong is there. And then you see a woman dressed as a nun from the Devils. Mm. And it's like... The one and and there was a there was a thing the other night. A woman on Twitter actually came out and was like, "I was that woman. I actually did a. It's not a mistake. It's not a thing where a CGI artist put me in as a put this in as a joke. No, I was actually cast and did costume and makeup for this and did acting on a set. Um, and it's in a fucking kids movie. And it's like." What? Warner Brothers clearly have no fucking idea. The the whole fucking thing is Warner Brothers going, look how great our our catalogue is. We yeah. are amazing. Blah de blah de blah blah. But they're not doing anything with their catalogue in terms of like, you know, they own the devils for fuck's sake. They could just release it out there, but they don't want anything to do with it. And it's like, why the fuck have you done this then like it doesn't make any fucking sense like you see the fucking the not the yeah you're the droogs from the quark of orange in there and you think what the fuck like wow yeah like well, what is go what is going on in the mind like somebody at warner brothers has clearly seen this and signed off on it um <laughs> and it's it's just it's just a massive fucking wank fest to, to excuse to pardon my language uh, uh jerking off to how great fucking warner brothers is and you know they haven't made anything classic in a long time. I mean, you know, there's a reason why Christopher Nolan has now fucked off to Universal. Um. Mm. Anyway, so that's my rant about Space Jam: A New Legacy. Um. I mean, there is, I'm there is. I'm going to link to it in the show notes. But Mark Kermo did a review of a Space Jam: A New Legacy on his show with with Simon Mayo, where he talks about his car breaking down on the way to Churro. And um, that's his review of a space drama, a new legacy. I think um, that rant of yours is worthy of Mark Kermode. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I will link to that in the show notes because it's it's a much better review. It's a much better experience than watching watching that movie. So I think we need to move on. I do think that we you are correct. Danny, can we um, should we talk about French Dispatch first? Well, we can do. So do you want to do you want to do you want to lead us off on that? Um uh, so for those of you who don't know French Dispatch is the latest film released by Wes well made by Wes Anderson. Uh I think it was supposed to be if I'm correct it was supposed to be released at Cannes in 2020. And it didn't get released. I think it was released this year at Cannes, wasn't it? Yeah, it was this year, yeah. And so it was delayed by a year and finally it arrived in London at the London Film Festival. Um, I was looking at the... I, I think I saw the trailer about 100 times and it's there's a lot of performances in it that you it's like blink and you've missed it because there's so many people in this film that are massive actors in their own right so you've got Shirley Ronan who's in there for like two seconds and uh, Christoph Waltz is in one scene and um, Willem Dafoe is in one scene I think or a scene and a half 
from memory. It's one of those, when I watched this film, I was very, very happy because I'm a big fan of Wes Anderson and I knew that I was in for, I mean, even a, a, an average story is, it can be made great by just appearances of these amazing actresses, yeah? But it was one of those, it felt like, it felt like that time in Harry Potter when he goes into Diagon Alley and he sees all this magic stuff and he can't, there's too much and you look at it and you look and he, I think in the book is written that he, he wishes he had more eyes. And when I watched the French Dispatch, I, I wish I had more eyes to take it all in. And I'm definitely going to have to watch it again because there was so much detail in every frame of this film. Um, and since I understand a bit of French, I could see like, there was a lot of French innuendos and a French like language, uh, f f like the cafes Les Saint Blagues, which is like Saint Blagues is like no joke. It's it's no joke. Um, and this the story takes place in what was it? A nuit sur Blazé, which is like bored or or you know. Anui is bored and Blase is Blase. Is like bored and boredom on Blas, boredom on Blas. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um. So it it, it I loved it. Uh, I don't know how you felt. I, I think you liked it too. But I just it's just it's just that world of Wes Anderson where everything is so perfectly symmetrical and at the same time quite chaotic. And I think that's what, because it, it, it's all very like, this chaos ensues, but it's just so beautifully presented. And I love that um, one of our favorite scenes is when they start fighting. There's a lot of group fights, but they don't actually fight. You have people holding the, the, the hammer, the mace, and just holding it over somebody else's head as in like stop frame kind of thing. And it's just really, really cool. And I particularly liked in this film the alternative the alternate uh between like color and black and white so the, the story starts with black and white but then there's some sort of big reveal like when the um paintings gets seen and then it all bursts into color and it's just so beautiful and i have to see it again to understand exactly what were the connection between the, the black and white and color uh, I particularly loved Francis McDormand's performance and Benicio del Toro. I think Benicio del Toro he plays um, what's his name? Moses Rosenthaler. Yeah, Mos Moses Rosenthaler, and he's a convicted criminal held in uh, like security. Prison. What is it like? Prison. He's in prison. Yeah, but what was that? Is it like Maximum a... security. Just... Yeah, but he's got that vest. What is it called? Straight jacket. Straight jacket. Yeah, the, the the word just didn't come to me. He he's he's like in a straight jacket, but he paints. So he's the the sort of the guard that looks after him takes off his straight jacket, lets him paint for an hour or two while po while she poses naked. More on that later, I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> Uh, and then she puts the straight jacket back on and just puts him back in prison. And I thought it was just, it's very Wes Anderson of it. Um, and yeah, it was just brilliant. Timothy Chalamet is in it and he plays like the rebel student with very funny hair. And it felt like there was like a, a 
cross between a young um oh god um it felt like a like a young uh, tom waits really um and, and maybe like a cross between tom waits and bob dylan don't know how you yeah. feel about it yeah i wish there were more i mean there's so many people in this film that i really like that i wish they had more like bigger parts but it's quite impossible to sort of condense it all in one film and it's just one of those things that Wes Anderson manages to have people agree to be in a, in his movies without even seeing a script, isn't it? I mean, you have Rupert Friend, who is very good, and he's just there in one scene. And, you know, Bill Murray's there just in passing, more or less. Elizabeth Moss, who's, again, great, great actor, she's there for, like, two sequences. Um, Tilda Swinton was absolutely impeccable uh she plays this um art dealer like an art lecturer yeah she's 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 one of the writers at the french dispatch yeah Um, but she's giving but she's she's like an art expert she's her her writing thing is art and she's giving a lecture on on uh, moses rosenthaler and the way she delivers those lines it's like i've seen people do that in real life where she's like explaining something with such um exuberance that she's like are you as excited as if she's saying are you as excited about this information that i'm giving you as i am and she just waits she pauses for a second and then continues again with the same exuberance and happiness like oh my god and then then this happened and then he did this and then look at that painting she's just brilliant um yeah i just yeah i think i need to sort of book myself another um ticket to see this again because I I think it's up there with Rushmore and Munrike's Kingdom and dare I say it, Grand Budapest. I don't know. Maybe not as good as Grand Budapest, but it definitely I feel like it's going it's going to grow on me. Yeah. What did you yeah. what did you think of it? I think I think you're right in the there is a like you need to see this again there is a lot going on there is it's there is so much i mean usually with the Wes anderson film you've just got one plot to kind of focus on yeah but with this you've got i mean they're all kind of it's like an anthology film so it's like the chapters of a of a book of a, of a magazine and you know you've got the Owen Wilson one, which is like a comedic one, which kind of gets things started. But that's and it. Then... That's it. That's even like the, just the introduction, because basically, then you said you have story one and story two and story three. Story three, yeah, yeah. So there's three and then main there's three stories. stories and the introduction by Owen Wilson. He yeah. basically introduces the city. Yeah, and it's it's kind of there is like I said, there is a lot going on, and I think it it doesn't for me. It needs a second viewing really to kind of. Unpack it. Yeah. The thing, the thing that I think that I kind of wrote down in my little letterbox review is that I don't think the French Dispatch has anything to say. Like, I think you know, I, I've spoken about the the Darjeeling Limited as my my favorite of of his, and that has a lot to say in terms of brothers and and in terms of mothers and like in terms of like a family unit, and you know, you think of um. Oh, the one involving the fish. Mine's gone blank. Life Fishing. Aquatic? 
Life Aquatic, yeah. That one has a you know, this it's it's a Moby Dick story, um, about obsession and you know, Rushmore is about I think again a <laughs> obsession. But I think French Dispatch it doesn't it doesn't have that underlying thing. It's just a it's just a, a an anthology film and, and I think each little segment has its own little thing to say, but it's not doing it in a in a meaningful way. It's just presenting a storyline. Um, I'm not saying that's it's not to its detriment. I just think that's kind of the point of this movie. Uh, it's a it's a it's a love letter to journalism. There's a lot of jokes in there about being a writer, which it made me laugh quite a lot. And I think I think the movie is is this kind of Wes Anderson just saying don't you just love the written word um here is a visual representation of the written word um done in done in such a way that is only Wes Anderson can do even the animated sequence only Wes Anderson could do that yeah Which, that animated sequence had been fucking stitches um it was brilliant wasn't it <laughs> just like goes down the down the road down the stairs and then back up the stairs of the car that he left. Anyway, yeah, it's the the, the film no, has a I, lot. I I I don't know if I agree completely with you because I think every it is a, a love letter to journalism and it's like you know behold the written word how beautiful it is, but I think it's also to do with like it's it's inherently self critical as well because you have all these different personalities who sort of come out and it's it is a bit of a amalgamation of different different stories but i don't know if it's not saying anything i think it's saying quite a lot i think i think yeah maybe maybe you're right i I think it's just one of the things that i just need to catch on second viewing i think is that now that i've seen it the first time i can i let it kind of wash over me or you know because i couldn't take it all in it became a quite obvious quite quite a way quick you know straight away that i couldn't just try and pay attention to it i need to let it kind of wash over me otherwise i just find yeah. it exhausting i think you know you're i think again this is a, a case of second viewing i'm gonna need to see this again and i'm not gonna be upset by that because you know like you said that like, there are some fantastic performances in there um the the tilda uh, tilda swinton she's always excellent in whatever she does but i mean she had me in she had me in stitches and <laughs> she's just so good what a, you know she i love that like i've got to go have my drink now <laughs> yeah and she like she's go, go, going through the, the going through the slides and then she's oh god that's me that's um, she was herself naked that's just so <laughs> and i like, think that's the thing i think that's the inherent message like the human mind works in such a weird way and to have that ability like wes anderson did to put it on 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 film because I think it just looks at the creative process in, in, in that. I think that's kind of the underlying message. Like, this is the creative process and it can be much jumbled up. Um, I love the fact that, I don't know if you remember, but towards the end when um, Robert, Jeffrey Wright's um, writer, Robert Wright, he he does, he t- he's taken out a, a story, a, pe- a piece of a paragraph from his story and then um bill murray says i put it back in because it's really good so i think that the editing and then not editing and then i think that's kind of what 
the message is like people and then the, there's always argument between like you know you've taken something out you've put something in you've written too much when you're supposed to write only very little you've done this and you've done that and you just went on a tangent saying something that you weren't supposed to like you you were saying a story about food but then you ended up being in a in in a hostage situation yeah yeah. So it, it, I think it's also yeah, it's just creativity and put on film. Yeah, yeah, I th- yeah. The, the 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 film is just so packed full of everything. Yeah. Um, and you know, the the I did the performance. I, I I got a little kick when I saw Henry Winkler. I thought, oh, it's Henry Winkler, you know, and mm. and I saw um, you know, Shorsha Ronan. I was, I was like, oh right, she's she's not in this for a lot, you know, because she's in, yeah. you know, when they do the trailer, you know, it's one of the names. You think, oh, Shorsha Ronan's in it, and it's like she's in it for like thirty seconds. She's, yeah. Um, Liev Schreiber, you know, is in it. Who was like the last person I'd expect to see in a Wes Anderson movie. I have um, a feeling that you you have, as Wes Anderson, I think you have like if the word got out that you're writing a new film you you have all these people calling you going like can i just be in for like two seconds can i just be in like 10 seconds i don't care let me just be in and i i would see like blue striver going can i just be in it for like one scene please just give me something yeah i think i think Um, it still kind of weirds me out that edward norton of all people is in a wes anderson movie not just one but he's in like three three um yeah think think of like edward norton in his career and him as an artist and him as a difficult person apparently to work with you know he's the last person i would you know expect he was to see so funny in Moonrise that's what i mean like you know he's really game for it you know yeah and in um, grand budapest he's so funny in that too yeah the way he pops up he's like he's like that he's like a cartoon character the way he pops his head head pops up like around the corner like <laughs> like that um policeman yeah, I mean, the, it was quite cool um, in the screening I was in. I mean, everyone was was on board with it. But when Tony uh, Tony Revolori showed up, you know, there was a there was a little kind of excitement when he showed up as young young Moses. Um, yes, which was yes. really nice. Which was really nice to kind of see and feel that moment of being like, yes, okay, he's very early on in his career still, you know, but, but he's everyone quite... loved him so much in Grand Budapest that everyone's excited to see him in a Wes Anderson movie. Yeah, um, yeah, and that painting was really proper scary, but very good. Yeah. The the, the crazy eyes painting. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm gonna... Over I, to I, you. I have... Sorry? Over to you. Talk about Leah. Oh, God, yeah, I was just about to say that. Um, my God, I mean, <laughs> yes, yeah. There was um, so there was a there was a tweet that came online the other day. I mean, you know, Twitter's the worst place on the planet, and everyone has a bad view, a uh, bad take. And there was this one particular bad take, and I think it was in response to the No Time to Die London premiere, where uh, Daniel Craig showed up in a in a pink suede jacket. And you know the right wing press and Piers Morgan, the the cunt, had a had things to say about it. Uh, and you're thinking, you know, and you're thinking, Jesus Christ, you know, shut the hell up. It's you know, it's Daniel Craig. He can, if anybody can pull off a pink suede jacket, it's him. It's him. And, yeah. and there was this one guy came up and said, "I really miss the days when men were masculine and women were feminine." <gasps> and 
you know, he was in response to this. New Leia Sedu is in, in the new Bond movie, and I've not seen it. And it's like, well, hang on a minute. Do you not look at Leia Sedu and think that is an incredible woman? Like that is the female she's form. Phenomenal. Like, she's like phenomenal. there are there are you know there are statues from the Renaissance that could be done of her. Or yeah. not the Renaissance. Yeah, yeah, like, you know what I mean? Like, I'm pretty sure Michelangelo would have gone for her straight away. And, <laughs> you know, and and I think that was the kind of the... I, what really struck me about that sequence was that usually... I know I was very, very aware with, you know, the whole, you know, male gaze, you know. I mean, we'll get on to it when we talk about Titan. Um, with the way that the, the female bodies are kind of portrayed on screen but it it didn't i don't know whether you agree or you know you, you being a woman in that it didn't feel it didn't feel like you were perverting like it felt like no. she was very much in control like it was her scene as it were like she owned it there wasn't she there wasn't a lingering it, yeah. eye um it didn't feel as though we were like imposing on something like it was um very much her moment um, I completely I think... agree, and it was done in a playful way as well. I love yeah. that how he he goes over to her while she's standing there naked, and he just puts paint on her, and she's like, "Shoes him away." It's like, okay, that's yeah. enough now. That's enough now. You know, you just go back to your seat. Otherwise, you put the straight jacket back on. Exactly. <laughs> I think you know the the, the, the scenes between Leah Sidhu and Benet Benicia del Toro. I didn't think oh I needed God. those. Um, yeah. Because they, I think they were the most. I think the the concrete masterpiece sequence was the best one out of the three, the three Bane ones, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of yeah. that had to do with a lot of that had to do with uh, Leia Sudu and, and Benicia del Toro. Um, Adrian Brody was pretty they're... excellent in it, and you he's know, always good. Tilda Swinton framing that whole thing kind of capped it off. But out of the three, it was my it was my favorite of the three. I think you know the second viewing is is. I mean, I'm really hoping on a second viewing, I'm going to learn to like the Francis McDormand, Timothy Chalamet one more. Um, it just seemed. I really me liked to be it the... too because it was quite complex as well. Yeah, I, th I th for me, I really, I didn't say I struggled with it, but out of the three, it was the weakest one out of the three. Um, and it was, it was funny, but there was just something about it that just didn't seem to kind of, I don't know, flow like the other two did. Um, okay. And I'm hoping, like when I see it on the second viewing, it will it will be a bit more obvious. But in, in terms of like actors appearing in Wes Anderson movies, like you know Timothy Chalamet, he's he is made for a Wes Anderson movie. Um, yeah. You know. <laughs> Tilda Swinton and, and Bill Murray as well. Like you know, there are certain actors that you know who are made for Wes Anderson, and Timothy Chalamet is one of them. Um. I love. So, yeah. Was it? Am I correct in remembering this? Am I remembering this right? Towards the end, when then they're all all the writers are in the um, room and then talking, yeah. and I think Tilda Swinton has her arm, her her hands on someone's shoulder. Is it Owen Wilson? Possibly. And I notice that it happens because they, they 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 move around, but then she always lands next to him putting her hand on his shoulder and I thought that was quite endearing and it just felt like it worked very well it yeah. just fits it just really fits because she they they both belong in that world very very much yeah, yeah. and I do I think I, I think Tilda Swinton is just yeah 
I I liked her role in this, and I but I don't know if I liked it more than um, Madame De or whatever her name was. Yeah, she yeah, was I, just I, very good. I wrote all in that my heavy makeup on. Yeah, I wrote in my little letterbox review. Um, just to go back to it because I think it, for me it, it kind of I managed to capture my thoughts pretty quickly. Is that I said. I said, um, I don't think the movie has a lot to say, but then I don't think it's the point with this. Visually dense, great performances, beautiful music, and funnier than most actual comedies. The Darjeeling Limited is still my favourite. Fantastic Fox is still his funniest, and the Grand Budapest Hotel is still his best, but the French Dispatch is probably the one that sits in the middle of this particularly unimaginative Venn diagram. I know you take umbrage with the fact that I said that Miss Fantastic Mr. Fox is is his funniest, um, but that's just me being me, you know, comedy and how we find things funny is all very subjective to, you know, different to each person to person. Um, okay. But I think the French Dispatch kind of is an accumulate, has all the elements of what makes a Wes Anderson movie a Wes Anderson movie. Um Yeah. And I think it is the most Wes Anderson movie that's been made. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Yeah, I really enjoyed it, and I'm definitely going to have to see it again. Definitely, definitely. Shall we... Um, is that is that us done for French Dispatch, then? I think so, yeah. Cool. So the next movie we're talking about is... Uh, hard left turn. Is uh, Julia de Cornell's new movie, uh, Titan... Um, which won the Palme d'Or at the Cannes Film Festival. She was the first film, female filmmaker to win Solo, which is insane considering it's 2021. Um, yeah, this movie stars uh, Agatha, Agatha Rossell, uh, Vincent Linden, and uh, Grant Millier, uh, who we saw in Raw. Uh, who we, which we actually recorded on this podcast. We did an episode on Raw on this podcast, which I, I, Danny, if I remember rightly, you had literally next to no context before you watched it. Correct. Yeah, and you came out loving it. <laughs> well, yeah, I did. Um, I did. I, I'm not in a rush to watch Raw again. Um, but it was. I mean, it's one of those movies that you know it's going to stay with you for a long time um and you know it, it's got some ex exceptional ideas and exceptional execution and exceptional acting but very visceral and very pun intended raw yeah <laughs> so because of, because of raw I I like to think that that's this is the reason why you've been excited for Titan. Yes, yes. Um. So, what <laughs> what did you think of Titan? I mean, that I mean, it it won the Palme d'Or at Cannes, and I mean, uh, last I mean, last I heard it got uh, it's been chosen as the French entry for the best international feature film at the, the Academy Awards, which makes me laugh because, you know, there's going to be some crusty old American white men who are going to be sat down to watch this and, and are going to be hit with, yeah. with a ton of bricks. So what, what did you, what did you think? I, I really, 
liked it. I I just it just felt really bizarre. Um, I was trying to wrap my head around what the whole idea of how how much should I give away? I'm not going to spoil my. Okay, so I, th- I, th- I think I think maybe maybe I think with with French Dispatch we could do like it was general thoughts and that was fine. I think with Titan I think we should do a spoiler free section and then a spoiler yeah. section because at the end of the day you you can't talk about this movie without going into spoilers and it's going to make things very very difficult. So if yeah. you can give some spoilery free thoughts, I'll give some spoilery free thoughts, and then we'll go into go into spoilers, and I will give time codes for everybody, um, so that you can yeah. avoid that. Yeah, because it's you know. just very hard to to analyze it without spoiling it. Um, but it was it was brilliant. It was very tight in the way that everything kind of fits even though it's quite confusing and you don't really understand where it all fits, but it kind of fits, you know? Um, I've not made any notes on this. So I'm just like, I, I remember waking up the next morning and thinking about it and thinking, why did she do that? And why, what does it all mean? And what, you know, very existential stuff and very like, what is the humanity heading towards kind of stuff? That made me think. I don't know if you if you got that from the film, um, but it was it was very. I I think only Julia de Cournau could could do something like this, and it makes me wonder what what ideas she gets and how she gets them, and how she goes from you know A to B to find a. Titanium Ted. alloy, yeah. <laughs> you go from A to B and then to, you know, the Greek alphabet. Yeah, it's yeah. Mm-hmm. It's it was fascinating to see this. Um, Agathe Roussel, uh, she's she's the main character, plays the main character, uh, Alexia, Alexia. Yeah, Alexia. Um, and she, without giving too much away right now, it's just her transformation was just mind blowing. And her performance was really, really good. And I, I would be very, I mean, let's just say that let's not, let's not measure, let's take the yardstick away, the Oscar yardstick away and not think about it because nowadays I don't think it means much anymore. Um, And just say that she's done one of the best performances I've seen this year. I don't know if if you agree, but I do, I'm I'm trying to. She was very very good. There was something incredible about her performance. It was like magnetic. I couldn't take my eyes off her, and everything she was doing, it was just so brilliant. And yeah, I don't know. I've not. I I I'm not familiar with her work. Um, it might be that she did this really good work because she was directed by such a great director like Julia Ducournau. Um, but I would love to see her in other films and see exactly what where she stands. So I did a bit of reading. Um, this so Julia de Cornell um, hired her because she saw her on Instagram, and she was a model. Um, this is her first acting job. She's never acted before, and they wow. did uh, workshops in which they worked on emotion and emotive. You know how to emote. 
um a couple of the i think one there was a couple of ones they worked on there's a a speech from uh the social network i think the one at the beginning which Rune Marat gives and um there was the the speech from network i think was the other one that they they worked on so yeah i mean considering i mean like Garance Mirlier in raw which was that was her first you know feature film role and blew us all away i think agatha agatha Russell, i mean again holy shit <laughs> so yeah yeah the corner she has she has an eye i think for for talent um yeah and yeah wow i think is the, is the word and then you get someone like Vin- uh, vince holland on who has worked for many many yeah. years um he was a, a a staple of of french cinema yeah um i think the only thing i actually i think i've seen only seen him in a couple of movies because i'm not all that familiar with with french cinema but i think friday night was the other one i've seen him in which is claire denis from 2002 mm. um and i remember his performance in that being very assured and and just really good and i think here in Tatani is yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I think I've seen uh, I've seen some of these old older stuff um like the 90s stuff um that he was in. Um but um because I went I was there at the premiere so they were um invited on stage to talk about a bit about it and um they asked um Vincent Landon how how he felt about the movie and he said that he read the script and he realized that if he saw somebody else play that guy he would hate himself forever and he was like just i have to do this i have to do this role whatever it takes so he was just very very excited to to be asked and to sort of even audition for that part so he was just very keen to do it and um yeah i really liked it yeah i i I I this is this is my favorite movie of the movie of the year so far. I I, I came out I mean, of it and just shell shocked. Um, yeah, I'm not sure I would go. I mean, trying to think, probably. Um, with yeah, probably my favorite. Because I I, anyway. I I I want to go to the cinema and see new films, and I want to be blown away. Like, it doesn't matter if the film has had bad reviews, it doesn't matter if it's good reviews. I want to go to a cinema and I want to be blown away. And I was blown away by this. Um, It wasn't, you know, the stuff that I expected to see from a Julia Ducano movie. It is also the It was stuff exactly that, what I expected to see. Yeah, there's stuff that you expect. As, if you've seen Raw, you know what you're, you, you're going to yeah. get. You know, this yeah. is a woman who came out and said that I watched Texas Chainsaw Massacre when I was like nine years old. You know, like, there's a certain kind of imprint that that leaves on the mind of a creative person when you're that young. And you can see it with Raw and you can see it with this. And there's the, the there's a things you expect, like I expected, and then there was the, the stuff that I'll go into as spoilers that you just think, huh, okay, that's, I didn't expect this and this is incredible as well um so yeah the, 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 if you if you get to if you get a chance to go and see this i it's one of my biggest regrets that i didn't get to see raw in the cinema with a with a with a crowd 
Um, but with Titan, yeah. I was quite happy to see this with a crowd. I mean, my my screening was a bit weird in that there were certain scenes which, for me, were very tender and very heartfelt. And there were, you know, a couple of laughs. There were intentional stuff that was definitely meant to be funny. Intentional stuff that was mentally de- meant, meant, definitely meant to get a reaction. But there was other stuff which was kind of I think, the crowd I think went a different way than what was intended. Oh, I think I think I know what you mean. Like the the sort of scenes between the 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 chief, like the the, the man. Yeah, the captain. Yeah, the captain and um, Alexia. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. Um. No. I where where I was, everyone was just gasping. It was just like silence you could hear a pin drop in those scenes and everyone was sort of taken in and being very very involved and i think people were quite emotional as well yeah yeah okay um so let's go to spoilers so i will do a time code and let people know um so spoilers for titan um if you don't want to hear spoilers uh, please turn off now um we will see you in a couple of weeks. <laughs> um, <laughs> but if you do want to hear spoilers, continue on with us. Um, so where, where, where should we... Where, where, what, what, what first? What do you want to talk about first? So I was just thinking about what it meant for somebody to be having sex with a car. <laughs> um, like, so, yeah. And, and, felt, and, and get pregnant by a car. So, I've I've been trying to. What did you think to, of that? Well, I I was like I was like, yes, <laughs> like, um, but in, in yes? just the, no, just no, just in terms of with Raw, I because I, I have to I have to kind of keep referring back to it, but with Raw in the review, I'm pretty sure I spoke about how there was definitely there was Cronenberg in there with Rabid and Shivers. With this, you've got more <laughs> Cronenberg stuff going on with Rabid Shivers, Crash. crash um which is you know perhaps the most erotic movie you you're ever going to see that doesn't actually contain i think it might have a sex scene i can't remember but it's insane that movie and then you've got videodrome as well and but then the movie then just goes into like tetsuo the iron man supermoto's tetsuo the iron man and which i will get to one day with you but the movie with the car stuff it felt it felt like John Carpenter's Christine, like the car is alive, that like the car has a as a as a, it just has this yeah. presence, and I think that's where De Cornell is definitely going, especially with that car that she you know isn't seemingly impregnated by. What's really made me what made me laugh is that I went onto the Wikipedia. I think it might still be on the Wikipedia article. Um, uh, where is it? Oh yeah, yeah. So the Wikipedia article says that after she kills that guy, she goes into the shower, then she finds the cum she modelled with earlier and enters it naked. She eventually climaxes as she rubs herself inside the car while it appears to turn on by itself. I mean, I don't... I How did she do that when her arms, her hands were clearly wrapped up by the seatbelt straps? Yeah, no, that didn't It's happen. like, you, you're clearly missing the... She clearly fucked the car. 
Um, fuck it. Yeah, she only fuck. Yeah, because I mean, she when she she starts getting she when the pregnancy starts to show, she's actually leaking black Oil. stuff from the car. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's it's not it's, blood. It's no, it's not blood. Oil. It's, it's very clearly oil. So there is a transformation going on there. So I yeah, think... there's the the hybridity. That was kind of what made me sort of ponder. And I think that's what because I think I saw an interview with Julia de Cournau and she said that I want people to start thinking about it and think about it hard and what it means. And I want people to sort of not like leave the cinema and still think about it, not just leave it. You know, the experience is there to make you think. So I've, I think. <laughs> so I've tried to unpack this. I'm gonna I'm gonna attempt to write an article on my website about this, and I will link to it if the show notes if I get it finished before I finish this. If not, I'll, I'll make sure it's on the on the podcast Twitter feed and on my own Twitter feed. So at the beginning of the movie, she is she's in a car accident uh, because her father, you know, is a bit of an asshole. Um, um, I mean, you know, I mean, she I was, have a theory I mean, about was, that. She was kicking the seat, but you know, he was a bit of an asshole. Anyway, I she can she I just has a this injury and has a titanium plate fitted into her head. The um, yep. the doctors say. Um, look out for neurological abnormalities or neurological signs. So I think over the years, this titanium plate, because if we're talking, you know, Cronenberg logic, we're talking this has kind of affected her neurological head, which is, you know, the the, the serial killing and the yeah. fact that she has that she has this attraction to, to cars and, you know, sexually attracted to them. But it also has, has impacted her physically. So what that is meaning is that the trauma of this car accident is the trauma of her parents and her um, her parents and especially her father being cold and not loving and has this clear disdain for you. Think about the looks that her father gives her. Has this, yeah. you know, he he dislikes his daughter, you know, and it's it's like there is a trauma there inside of her so it is a physical manifestation of the trauma that she has been affected by from a very young age which is which is represented by the the physical manifestation of this titanium you know kind of going through you think about when she's scratching herself and then it you know it clearly shows the metal and and the oil you know it's it's changed her physically because it's a manifestation of the trauma that she suffered as a child and to later on in the film, I'm going with the idea that the reason why the, the child at the end has this physical manifestation of the, the you know, the, the spine being metal, you know, it's clearly yeah. this a baby born out of two is because the trauma has passed itself passed down itself on. Yeah. generationally. I think the, the Ag- Alexia, she is her physical transformation a physical um kind of the way she 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 turns into she turns in into this thing where she's you know she's pregnant and what have you and you know this this things are happening to her it is a physical manifestation of the trauma that she's felt whereas vincent is the emotional and uh, mental side of trauma and mental side of of grief and denial that he's gone through which is yeah. a if you think about it in terms of gender roles, you're thinking well, physical you're thinking male and emotional you're thinking female. 
well, this is the other way around. We're seeing the female being affected physically and we're seeing the male affected mentally, especially when you're considering the steroids that he's trying to get himself to change ment- uh, physically are no longer working because the physical yeah. manifestation can, on- can no longer change itself. So that's why he's ended up going towards uh, uh, Alexia even when he knows he's figured out that he is... I, th- I think he figures out very early on that it's not his son. And yeah, he's um, very aware of, like, that he needs that connection to process the trauma and to process the grief that he's felt in the past. And she ends up needing his emotional connection to get through the physical trauma that she's going through. That's what I'm going with. <laughs> no, that's very good uh, reading. I think um, you're right. I do think that maybe he didn't even even when he was in the um like at the police officers he didn't think he was his son well you look at the pictures of the son as a child and you'd think it all not really no (laughs) um even with shaved eyebrows i just think that he just wanted someone to fill that gap somehow and yeah, and he would. He I think he would have taken anybody. Yeah, I, mean, anybody. I think it's interesting. I think it's interesting that he's gone with Alexia and not, you know, the the men that he's, you know, clearly the the more suitable men that he's working with as a firefighter. You know, you think about the classic kind of captain's yeah. role. Like yeah. you, you think he'd be seen as a father figure, and you know, but he, he sees... was. But I just don't think he he he. I think he found that connection quite easy and I don't think he wants I don't think that's what he wanted because yeah. I think at the same time because he, he, he I think he might have felt felt that he failed as a father for not having protected his son so he wants to punish himself somehow so to to get take the easy way out and find a son that offers himself to him like those um youngsters are the the firefighters he will just not accept that he wants somebody to to be complicated i don't yeah. know yeah yeah but think, you I know think, you know what i, I mean think, yeah i think you're right i think he needs he, yeah he needs somebody who was as damaged as him yeah i think because yeah. he yeah yeah. I think that I think that whole idea of him being and damaged as well, I think it's linked into it subconsciously with you know, you think about the there's the scene of incredible shots in with the fire and stuff, but the first one where he sees the child in the, the cabinet and that was really quite something. Yeah. And then yeah. the second sequence where the, he gives uh Rayanne the gas can and he walks away and then you hear the explosion and it, you, I I started thinking, well, he did that on purpose. Yeah, like, I subconsciously like he, did. he did it on purpose because he knew that Rayanne knew the truth and had figured yeah. out the truth and had, had was was potentially going to damage his his new his relationship, and he he's done it on purpose. And subconsciously, I don't think he's he did it intentionally intentionally, but I think he he knew what he was doing subconsciously deep down because he's just that damaged from damage from the yeah. trauma that he's gone through i don't know I, I yeah um 
I think there's there's just a lot in here. I think there's a lot to be taken. I'd like like with Raw, which had a lot to say about far, like generational, yeah, you know, family and and sisters and and you know, I think this has a lot to say in terms of grief and trauma um, and fathers as well. Yeah, I was thinking when well, you were talking about the the father, her father being absent and a bit of an asshole. I do think that there might have been some previous trauma in there as well. That yeah. Alexia Alexia might have clocked him to being, if not abusive, maybe some sort of something not quite right. I mean, you can be emotionally abusive as a father. Yeah, like, yeah. You don't have to be physically so, abusive, but yeah. you can be emotionally abusive to your children. Yeah, and yeah, it could be like a lack of connection there um, from the get-go. A bit like, you know, uh, in We Need to Talk About Kevin, there's no connection between mother and son. And that has tragic repercussion on both their lives. Yeah. You know? Um, but yeah, it was an exceptional film. And yeah, more, more, more of that. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I, I, I can't just, wait to see what she does next. I'm just really happy to see that there's more and more women directors being really good. Bold as well. Yeah, they're, they're, I mean, not... you have... Yeah. They're not yeah, just being have... signed up to studio projects like, no. you know, like Sing Street 3 or whatever it's been. Pitch Perfect 3, you know, like it's not just a sequel to a long running thing where you've already had two male directors. It's a new project with, you know, money being put behind it. I mean, this is foreign, but, you know, still the point still stands. I think, yeah, women being allowed to to come up with something original and backed up and given the money to to do it i think this is a story as well that i don't think i mean i, I spoke about leah Sedu in, in french dispatch but that the opening sequence the, the sequence following which could you think about if a man if, if, a, if a typical male director or if you think that the typical male director would film that you'll be thinking oh, this is like something of a fast and furious movie with the women and the yeah. cars being framed yeah. and, and sexually yeah. exploited in, in, in the frame. Whereas this isn't done in that way. I think Nidja Cornell is, is doing that, but with a different intention and a different framing. She's clearly saying, like trying to say that the women are as idolized as much as the cars, but the cars are treated better. Yeah. And also I, I, I like the fact that it was like a more like a, it's, it's Strip joint? Am I correct in saying that? Yeah, I think it's like a car show. It's like an underground car show. Yeah. Um, where, but she, because she was classed as a dancer, so that's why I was a bit like, she's doing the dance strip joint car slash car show. Um, where they ha she had all these guys leering and coming at her, but she never, she, she's like, no touching. So there's that, you know, look, but don't touch. You have, you can admire the, the, womanly perfection beauty but you have to respect it at the same time same with um, with Leia you know don't touch yeah yeah and yeah but yeah um, um any other notes on on, on Titan every, everything else I kind of want to save I mean I kind of give away my, my main thesis <laughs> of of the of the article but everything else i'm probably i'm probably going to try and save um for that i was going to ask you though that the father-daughter relationship i mean did that 
did that bring back any memories of any other films that try and do the same thing obviously without the gore and without the 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 you know the other stuff going on but the general father daughter relationship i mean I can't is there anything of, else cinema and, it, and, and i feel culture? like i feel i feel like there's a, there's an obvious answer but i can't think of of it i feel that there's an obvious answer to this but because i looked I, it up and the only one i could think of was was bogdanovich's paper moon which we're gonna have for season three um that's the only one i could it's the only one i could think of um, well uh, like dysfunctional or functional <laughs> no just i mean i either way like anything that kind of shows the tenderness between a father and a daughter like that we've seen between the, the captain and, and and alexia to kill a like, mockingbird oh yeah i suppose I suppose no 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 not i suppose have you seen that movie i have seen that movie <laughs> well it, it's very good and it's got a really loving relationship between father and daughter and very respectful and like friendly and just harmonious yeah well you know what i mean like that you know there's between the captain and, and alexia there's this there's this tenderness and sweetness to it that obviously you know in the in, that's in the in in and obviously in the back of your mind you're thinking well she's pregnant acting like a, the son and he's you know clearly damaged in a way that is <laughs> damaged his his relationship with his wife you know yeah it's a reason why she's clearly left him um but that you know there's i don't know there's there's just trying to think about other relationships in in movies that that do the same thing um and like i said the only one i could think of was paper moon um, which I don't even know if Dukwana <laughs> like was 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 trying to do with that. I don't know. I I think she's definitely. I'm definitely more comfortable saying that she was inspired by Crash and Videodrome and Cronenberg in particular, or, or any Cronenberg stuff. And Christine, I think, is definitely in there, and definitely Sukumoto's uh, the Iron Tetsuo, the Iron Man. But in terms of like the other stuff, the, the more dramatic stuff, I, I don't know what her frames of reference are, um, if there are any, or if it's just mm. something she's taken on from experience, which I really, really hope not. <laughs> I hope that she has a loving relationship with her father. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Um, any, do you have any other thoughts? Um, no, um, not at the moment. I'm sure I will. And if I get the urge to write about it, I will let you know. Excellent, excellent. Um, so LFF twenty twenty one, I think was was a success. I mean, I didn't get around to seeing last night in Soho, but I mean, it's out in a couple of weeks anyway. Um, Can I make a confection? Confection. A confection. Yeah, a confection. Go for it. <laughs> um, I'm not sure. I I mean, I you know, I like Edgar Wright. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm I love him. I have a crush on him everything i don't know about any taylor johnson i just don't like her face i know it sounds terrible it is terrible of me to say that but she's got that resting bitch face that i just can't get past it just oh i haven't seen the queen's gambit oh right have you seen it? Is it good? No, Should no, I, 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 I haven't seen. No, I haven't seen it. I'm just trying to look at what Anya Taylor Joy's been in. Oh, she was in the obviously in the Witch, um, Split. Which I've not seen. You've not seen the Witch. No. Ooh, 
Okay. Should I watch it? You you really should. If you did you see the lighthouse? No, it's on Netflix. I saw. Listen, I wanted to watch the lighthouse for like since it came out, but I never got around to it. Okay, so I really right don't watch the lighthouse until after you've seen the witch because I think you need to see the witch first before you watch the lighthouse. I think because okay. it's, it's both the it's both the same director. There's no like there's no connection in terms of plot, but I think in terms of understanding what um what the director's going for robert eggers is going for i think you need to see the witch first okay um okay yeah um but the the, the lighthouse is incredible but anya taylor jo- johnson uh and taylor joy sorry she's really really good in that she's in joy. split and glass as well the two m night films she's also in the new mutants uh which is the the last and the fox x-men movies um she's the only good thing in that movie um, actually I, I there's something about her in split that i did not dislike because she had she had dark hair didn't she i think so yeah there was something i don't know there was something better she was sweeter there there's something abrasive about her face now she just feels very like i'm 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 i'm, I'm gonna mess you up kind of vibe <laughs> Yeah, and, I, yeah. I, I can I can see. I mean, we got who was also isn't it? Thomasin McKenzie is also in Last Night in Soho. Oh, so you know we see in Jojo Rabbit. Uh, she's in one of the Hobbit movies. She's in Old, which I can't. Oh yeah, no, yeah, she is in Old, um, which obviously I, I saw the other week. Um, I think she's she's pretty good. Um, yeah, no, I I yeah I I will I'll, I'll try and get around to watching Last Night in Soho. Matt Smith, isn't it? Yes. I um, want to see, I mean, as for London Film Festival, what I want to see is The Lost Daughter, um, Maggie Gyllenhaal's directorial debut, and Passing, which is Rebecca Hall's directorial debut with Ruth Neger and Tessa Thompson. The only, the, the only other film that I think I really wanted to see was The Power of the Dog. The Power oh of- yeah, that too. Uh, yes. Jane, is it Jane, Jane Campion's Jane, new movie? Jane, Jane Campion, yeah. With um, Benedict Cumberbatch, uh, which apparently and is Kirsten Dunst. It's very, very good reviews. Um, so I was looking on the website, on a, I think I googled it or something. There was like the top of the pile in terms of, again, we're, we're doing that yardstick again, which I hate, but uh, contenders for next year's Oscars are Belfast and The Power of the Dog and um the king king richard king richard the one will smith yeah 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 about the about the the william sisters yeah yeah typical oscar fair you think that would be wouldn't it Belfast yeah. as well. Belfast as well. I think is a typical Oscar for. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, it's it's interesting this kind of year. I mean, it's always interesting this kind this time of year anyway. When you're thinking, you know, we're we're getting the festival stuff, and you know, we're we're going into Oscar season pretty pretty soon. But I think this year in particular, because of everything that's kind of gone on in the past, like the last year or so with with COVID and 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 cinemas not being open and staggered releases and stuff being delayed and you think about how many times like black widow got delayed before it got released and you know 
I still can't believe we got Tenet in the cinema, you know, and we're getting June finally in a couple of weeks. Um, yeah. You know, but but I think I think you know it's going to be interesting to see how I think there's going to be a lot packed in. I think October is kind of the start of this whole. There's a lot of normality. movies coming. Yeah, and I think everybody's catching up. You know, a blockbuster season, you know, is usually kind of spaced out, you know, across of quite a few months. But in the space of between September and December, we've got three Marvel movies. Like, that's insane. Usually you get three Marvel movies a year, but, you know, this time we've got September, October, November, four months, we've got three of them, you know? Um we've also got june which is usually you know which is usually a, a would usually take up a couple of weeks by itself on the on the on the schedule you know venom 2 is out you know halloween kills is out it's and then you got you know it, then you got all these oscar movies like belfast and king richard and french dispatch as well you know it's i think it's, and i think it's, wes anderson's already doing another film so he's already filming it a, a new film yeah, I mean, Ridley Scott has got two movies out in the space of a couple of months as well. Paul Thomas Anderson's got a new movie out. Yeah, I yeah. need to. I, I need to slow down because I'm. Yeah, I'm just gonna get. There's there's too much density. I just can't, some... It's it's like I can't look. Where where should I look first? There's no way. You have to sort of slow down. Something something has to give. I think. Yeah. I think you know. For, for me, it's deciding that I don't think I can go and see Venom two in the cinema. You know, like I know, I know that's a big, big shame. But I was kind oh, of looking no. forward to. Oh, but no. I mean, it's also like I don't, I don't know if I can be bothered to sit down and watch three hours of Bond in the cinema. You know? Oh, actually, I forgot. I, I even forgot to mention that I did see the new Bond <laughs> film. I, it... That's how good it is. Is Daddy forgot to mention it? Uh- god oh dear um uh i did enjoy it you know it it's it's bond it does what it says on the tin no spoilers um it was it was good it was good it's a bond it's a bond film it's got daniel craig in it (laughs) and it's got it's got some some chasing sequence like ten thousand chase sequences and some shooting sequences like five thousand shooting sequences and the rest is like you know, twenty percent of the film is just some stuff that I can't give away. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I think I think we should we should wrap up there. Um, so, like I said, we, we, we'll we'll see you in a couple of weeks. We're going to do an episode, a Halloween episode this year. We're just going to do the one, uh, which will be Hauzu, um and the Innocents. Um, so look out for that that'll uh, probably get released on Halloween 31st of October and then we're going to be doing um, uh, November. November November which we're which we're kind of finalising in terms of what we're going to do but when when we've figured that out we'll we'll let everybody know what we're going to do um, but obviously look out for Hauzu and, and um, The Innocents in a, in a couple of weeks um, so with oh Danny where can we find you on the internet you can find me on Twitter at Kino Joan and my website is KinoJoan.co.uk. Back up. The website got finished. Well, it's the same. There were some glitches and I hope those they've been sorted. I've been trying to get them sorted for ages and ages. But I think now it's it's safe to browse. Excellent. 
Um, you can find me on Twitter at Nick S. Chandler. My website is superatomavision.com. I'll try and have up my uh, Titan piece uh, up in the next couple of days. Um, I've also added up on there some of my screenwriting stuff, so maybe give that a look. I've added a couple of short, short film scripts on there. If you're curious to know how bad my curated writing is, um, and I'm also just, I'm prepping um, in pre-production of of a, of a YouTube essay as well, so keep an eye out for that. Um, our podcast Twitter is at Keenotomic. Drop us a follow on there. Uh, also, our Gmail is keenatomic at gmail.com. Um, so drop us an email on there. Let us know what you would like to see for season three, because we might. Ha- I think we've got a couple of gaps. I think um, so at the moment. So let us know if you've got any ideas what you'd like us to cover. And uh, yeah, so with all that in mind, it's a goodbye and a thank you for listening from me. And a goodbye and a thank you for listening from me. Let me tell you about the way she looked, the way she had the color of her heart. Her eyes were soft and